help Colby a little bit. Okay, uh, good morning. It is great to be here with you. We are excited that you're here with us uh, today. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, uh, specifically Exodus 17 this morning. If you wanted to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, we'll be navigating through the life of Joshua uh, this morning for our sermon today. Uh, but before we, we get going, not yet, Miles, uh, sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> before we get there, I want us to think about kind of the concept of endurance. Uh, I heard a story this week uh, that I thought was fascinating, really because why would anybody want to do this? But it was if you were interested in going to Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, students had to camp out. And this is kind of a regular thing that students at Duke University have to do. And, and I know the story because one of our very own, Sophie Lair, participated in this. But what they had to do was they had to camp out starting at the beginning of the spring semester. So around, you know, the beginning of January through March when the game actually happened. But to camp out, you actually had to pass an exam about the Duke Blue Devils, about the team, the coaches. You had to know if players had a dog, what the dog's name was. If you passed that test, then you could camp out outside to go to this game. Now, the camping, this is kind of what I thought was really fascinating about, was if you got into the camping level of this, you had to have two representatives of a party of 12 at your tent the entire time. So regardless of the time of day, two individuals had to be present at the tent. At night, you had to have at minimum six people there, and they did checks throughout the night to make sure that each tent had at least six people in it. And when I heard this story, I thought, what in the world? Like, why would anybody want to do it? Why would you endure this kind of just like treatment on yourself for a basketball game? Now, I would never do it for Duke, but maybe some of you with your favorite teams would do that. But I thought about that. Like, what are the things in your life that you're willing to endure challenges for? What are the things you're willing to, to walk through difficult and challenging circumstances because you know that at the end of it, it is worth it? That there is a reward waiting for you because if you put in the time, if you put in the effort, if you just stay the course, it'll be worth it. And I thought a lot about this this week when I look at the life of Joshua. Because if you know how the life of Joshua begins, it begins in Egyptian captivity. Joshua was born a slave. It was all he knew throughout his life until this guy named Moses shows up and starts causing problems for basically everybody, both, both the Israelites in a good sense, good problems, but also with the Egyptians. He starts listening to God, and God is challenging the authority of the Egyptians because they're trying to free and liberate the Israelite people. And Joshua is just kind of right there listening to everything that Moses is doing. He's watching Moses. We, we're going to look at this in just a moment, but we, we learn quickly that Joshua finds himself as one of Moses' aides. He's his right-hand man throughout most of his life. And Joshua's life really begins essentially as a like guerrilla general almost. And in Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, and this is kind of one of the first entrances that we have in the life of Joshua, but he says to him, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. I like this. Like, we're going to watch how things go while you guys fight. <clears throat> but as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Maybe you've heard this story before, but it's really our first glimpse into Joshua's life in connection with Moses. He's somebody that trusts Moses. 
This is a, a weird situation. I mean, how many of you would go into battle where the person who was in charge said, look, we're going to win as long as my hands are up in the air. I would say, I need this in writing. Or like, have you done this before? Like, is this something that we're, we're supposed to be familiar with? But Joshua just says, you know what? Yes. I don't really know how this is going to work out. Like, he, he doesn't question Moses at all. He trusts in Moses and realizes that, you know what, this may be a challenging situation for me. This may be a difficult battle, Moses, but I know that if you're saying that if we just get to the other side, it'll be worth it. And so Joshua leans in, and he goes to battle. And if you know the story, they win the battle specifically as long as Moses' hands are up with the staff held high. Now, we, we also see Moses' life and, and Joshua's intersecting later on in, in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay with me, and I will give you the tablets of stone and law and commandments I've written for their instruction. This is when the Israelites have, have left Egypt. Now they're on Mount Sinai, and God is communicating to the Israelites through Moses. And the reason I wanted to look at this text is verse 13. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. But, but here you see that, that Joshua is right there with Moses. Just crazy situation where they've, they've gone through this battle. They've fought these things. Now they're, they're starting their, their wandering process. They're on Mount Sinai. And Joshua's like, okay, like, I don't maybe, I can't see where this is going. Like, I've got to trust in you, Moses. I've got to know that as long as we follow the path that you're saying that we should go on, Moses, if I endure the challenges that are before us, each step in front of the other one, it'll work out. And here you get this, this glimpse of Joshua's dedication to Moses and his commitment to the journey. If you're familiar with the story in Exodus 32, Joshua is the one that says, like, hey, Moses, they're, they're up to something. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But basically, Moses, or Joshua is the first one that hears that the, the Israelites are making the calf, and they're worshiping this golden calf. But in Exodus 33, as Moses went into the tent, this is when they've kind of collected, and they've got the, the tent of meeting that's kind of happened. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the uh, entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now these are all glimpses of how Joshua was devoted to Moses and how he endured the challenges that the Israelites faced as they left Egypt. And probably the, the most popular story of Joshua that maybe you're familiar with, or at least if you've ever done VBS, you probably told the kids, but it's when Moses instructs these 12 men to go into the land of Canaan. And in Numbers chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out <coughs> from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And I've, I've skipped several of the names to just get to this one. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. Now, if you looked at that text just a moment ago, you're, you're understanding it's Joshua. But before Joshua's name is changed, it's this Hosea. Now in verse 16 of chapter 13, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Now there's some nerd stuff that's happening here. I can't tell if everybody's excited, but I am. 
But there's some, some Bible nerd stuff that's happening here because what, jo- what Moses does is he changes Joshua's name by adding this yay, this Y-E lettering. So the name, the meaning of names is so important in this culture. And it is to an extent here. Like maybe you're named after, you know, a grandfather. Or you have some symbolic reference of why you named your kid, whatever name you named it. Like we named Judah something special. We named Isla because we just wanted every teacher to have a difficulty going forward. But we, when, when you look at this, what, what's happening here is the prefix changes the entire trajectory of the name. Hosea just means salvation and help, which itself is it's beautiful and powerful. But by adding that Y-E to Joshua's new name, what he's done is he said that God will deliver. That's what Joshua means, that God will save, God will restore, God will heal. He, he's added God to the name of Joshua, which is just powerful and amazing when you think about what Joshua's life has been up to this point. He was born a slave. He was born in Egyptian captivity. He's found himself in these battles with Moses that he, he can't really see why are we doing these things or, or why does the, does the battle have to be won this way. And now Moses is saying, what we want to do now is we're going to go spy on the land of Canaan. And I want you to trust me that what we're going to do is going to be worth it. And so they send these 12 men in, and before they send them, Moses pulls Hosea aside and says, hey, I'm going to give you a new name. Like, I know your name means salvation, but now I want you to understand that God will save you that God will restore our people. It's this powerful thing that happens just by a little name change. But in Numbers 14, you you know the story maybe from your childhood, that they go in, and I'm not going to ask you to sing the song, but remember it's 10 were bad, 2 were good, you did the thumbs up, and that's how you knew that 2 of them were good. It's a a fun Bible story. We should have prepared Levi to sing it, but because I'm clearly butchering it. But you know the story, right? Where they, they go into the land and 10 of the, the spies are just, they're terrified and they don't trust God. And they don't trust that Moses can maybe take the land like God has commanded that they could. But what Joshua and Caleb see is something different. It's like they almost have these, these new glasses on where they can see that God is trying to restore our nation, that God is trying to heal what is broken, that God is trying to give the people something if they will just follow the path and stay the course. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against God and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. This sounds like the, the speech of a man who's been changed by God, whose name, his identity, his purpose, his direction has been changed because he trusts that God is going to deliver, that God is going to restore. Now, if you followed the news, and I found this story very interesting. A few weeks ago, uh, people discovered a, a ship. And let's go to that first slide, Miles. This is the, the ship Endurance. If you've seen this, you've probably seen this picture. I think about two weeks ago, um, people on boats, I guess. I can't think of what they're called. Uh, explorers, probably. Anyway, explorers found this ship in the Antarctic Ocean, the Weddell Sea. And they found this boat, and it, it's almost in like immaculate condition because of uh, the temperature of the water. It has just kind of kept everything in perfect condition. You can go to the next slide. Um, I mean, you can see everything is just almost perfect. It's, it's beautiful, right? Um, and, and as we've 
heard this story kind of transmitted through the news, one of the focuses has been like the condition of the boat. But as I started looking into the story, that wasn't what was fascinating to me. What was fascinating to me was why they got on the boat in the first place. And so if you were in London, I believe in around 1912, let's go to the next one, Miles, you likely saw this ad. Now it's, it's really small font, so I'm going to read it to you. Uh, but it said, Endurance, 1912, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, um, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in the event of success. Ernest Shackleton. Now, who's signing up for that ride, right? Um, seems pretty fun to me. Um, and 27 people did. 27 men signed up. They read that with their own eyes, or somebody read it to them, and then they got on that boat. Now, I find that to be the first fascinating thing about this endurance journey. But what happens is the endurance left South Georgia, which is an island a little bit north of Antarctica, on uh, the 5th of December in 1914. Uh, On board were 27 crew members, and, and, and the notes that I had have plus one stowaway. It's 69 dogs and one cat. Uh, Captain Shackleton, uh, the leader, was aiming to establish a base on Antarctica's uh, Weddell Sea coast and then keep going basically to the other side of Antarctica. Now, within two days of leaving South Georgia, and we can go to that next slide, this is the dude. Now, maybe this is what it was that made the people respond to the ad. They're like, this dude knows how to sail. Uh, I'm, I'm hanging out with this guy. Uh, he doesn't look like there's a lot of malfeasance that's going to happen on his boat. Um, this is, you know, kind of how I like to look, you know, stern. But anyway, uh, let's go to the next one. This is the actual boat. And then, so within two days, the ship encountered the barrier of thick sea ice around the Antarctic continent. So next one, Miles. Two days in from leaving the South Georgia island, they get stuck. Um, boat can't move. They're just there. Um, for several weeks, the endurance made painstaking progress, but in mid-January, a gale pushed the ice hard against one another, and the ship was officially stuck. Uh, one crew member wrote, we were frozen like an almond in the middle of a chocolate bar, which you can tell that when they wrote that, that was very early in the journey. They're like, you're still making jokes at this point, like you're mentally okay at least. The men could do nothing but wait, and this is the kicker for me. After nine months of uh, being stuck in the ice, so just like that, they were stuck for nine months, um, they decided to abandon the ship, uh, decamping on the ice. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want to go back into the life of Joshua. Joshua's life, he, he stays with Moses the majority of his life. He follows Moses, he trusts in Moses, and there's a point in their journey together when they reach the promised land. Now, we, we've talked a lot, we've been focused on Joshua this morning, but, but shift gears for just a little bit to think about Moses. Moses has, has liberated the Israelite people. They've, they've wandered in the desert for 40 years. And they get to this point now where they're, they're on the edge. They can see where God is leading them. They, they can, it's it's kind of so close they can taste it. Like an almond stuck in a chocolate bar. But they can, they're just so close. And I've looked at a lot of passages in my life that really just stand out to me. And I keep coming back to this one because this one hurts. Like when you think about who Moses is and how he led the Israelites, 
And he gets to this point where he's like, this is it. This is where we're going. This is where we need to be. I, I, I can see where God is leading the, these Israelite people. The text begins, And Moses climbed on Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Peshkai across from Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over to it. I mean, this is a, like, this one kind of gets at you. Like, Moses has, has been there whole go. He's led these people. He is, and I always say he's put up with these people for a long time, too. Like, it has not always been, like, you know, uh, rainbows and, and lollipops. It has been challenging and difficult periods of time with the Israelites. And they're at this point in Deuteronomy where God says, but I'm not going to let you cross over it. And then you enter back into the story of Joshua. And I have to wonder, like, what did Joshua think when he heard this? Like, this is Moses' close aid. This is somebody that has been with Moses since he was a, a young man. He had fought in battles for Moses. He had gone to bat for Moses. He had listened to Moses, trusted in Moses. And now you're in the situation where God is saying this is where Moses is stopping. And I think Joshua had to be like, I, I can't see it. I can't see where we go next. And if we're honest, even though Joshua was this, this warrior, this brave spy, this individual that trusted God, even in these difficult situations, I believe that Moses likely was, or Joshua was likely afraid. And so in Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. There's a lot of literal text. I'm sure that Joshua knew at this point that Moses was dead, but God tells him anyway, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. It's, it's almost, it's just like the sad joy that you see in Joshua's life. Where he was probably scared, and he was nervous, and then when God is talking to him, there's, there's fear that comes over with just the presence of God. But he's back to trusting in God. Like Moses led, but he trusts in God. And in verse 4, after, uh, in verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all of your days. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors I give to them. And in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. It ends in verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua has endured this insane life of following Moses and trusting in God. And I promise you that there were times in Joshua's life where he could not see where are we going with this God. Like, I, I promise you that when Moses said, all right, I'm going to hold my staff in the air, and that's how we're going to win the battle, that Joshua had doubts. But he trusted in God that God would deliver, that God would provide a path out of that journey. No, I, I don't want to end this story on a sad note. And honestly, I kind of want to end it on a surprising note. Uh, let's go to that next picture. So this is 
where the last that we left the endurance, the boat was beginning to sink. Uh, they had, um, it says the men could do nothing but wait. After nine months on the ice, they abandoned the ship. Uh, they took basically everything that they needed. And then a few weeks later, um, on November 21st, uh, almost a year after they had set out on their journey, the, the boat finally sank into the ocean. Um, and then they've actually been able to use the navigation tools from one of the, the uh, ship's captains and navigators to record location. That's kind of how we found it today. Not me. I wasn't part of that expedition. But um, they didn't ask for my input either. So anyway, because I was like, I'm going to use it in the sermon. So the next slide here is when they just started camping. They took all the stuff off the boat, and they just set up camp and basically started waiting. Um, the men in the next picture, the men formed a plan to march across the land. Um, but after traveling just seven and a half miles, they, they gave up. Uh, the records that they have, they just said, like, we just didn't feel like there was hope. But as they just kept walking, they just kept seeing more ice. And, and they didn't have anything to look forward to. They didn't have anything to cling their hope onto. The, the captain actually wrote that there was no alternative but to camp once more and to possess our souls with what patience we could uh, have until conditions should appear more favorable for renewal at an attempt to escape. And so they have to wait still. And then the next slide that we have is when the ice broke up the following April, the crew took to the lifeboats that they had saved from the boat and rowed to Elephant Island, which is a uninhabited island north in the Weddell Sea. The men were exhausted. Uh, the records say that some were, infl- were afflicted by seasickness, others had dysentery, and then the captain wrote that at least half of our party was insane, which, I mean, if, if you were on that boat, maybe you too. <clears throat> but they made it. On April 15th, they landed ashore of Elephant Island, and it was the first time these men had stood on solid ground for over 500 days. Now, the reason that I, I like this story is, is not because of how they started, but because of how they ended. That next picture, every single crewmate on this boat survived. And that is something that when I read the story, and we look at this boat that they found, like, the boat is beautiful. I think it's awesome that it's in the condition that it's in. But we can't ignore the fact that they all survived. And there were days, I promise you, that they were like, what are we doing here? And even like when they started just marching inward to try to find some slight kind of glimmer of hope, they had to think, okay, this is where we're going to die. There's no way that we're going to survive this expedition. But they waited, and they trusted, and they listened to their captain. And then in April, when that ice started to break up a little bit, and they had their, their boats ready to go, they packed up camp, and they decided to start rowing towards safety. And just like Joshua, like they had to feel at times like there's no way that we're going to make it. But they did. And they eventually reached dry land. And I, I have felt a lot like these men in the boat. Where at times I'm like, okay, God, show me the path. God, you're telling me to trust you. God, you're, you're, <clears throat> you're telling me to lean in. But God, I, I'm feeling kind of cold. Or God, I'm feeling like this boat isn't moving. And God, like, we're running out of food, and this guy's talking about chocolate bars. Like, God, I, you got to show me where we're going with this. <clears throat> and maybe you feel that way, because I, I do too. But the thing that, that I see that is so profound in this story 
is the trust is how when, when we allow ourselves to trust in God, that God can make a way for us. That when we put our trust fully in God, the ice will break up a little bit. And then we may have to go a little bit further in our rowboat, so it may not be the greatest thing ever. And we may find ourselves on an uninhabited island, but eventually we will be rescued. Eventually God will restore. Eventually God will heal. And to me, that is the story also of Joshua. If there are times where we can't see the next step, or maybe we don't know where God is leading us, but we have to trust that God will deliver us. And when we put our trust in God, the ice opens up and God makes a way. Let's stand and sing.